I'm Naira. I'm Ellie. I'm Nina. I'm Joanna. This is Politics Under the Microscope, where we explore issues that matter to you by connecting science, policy, and society. When we think of a passport, maybe we think of that essential little booklet that we travel with. What if we told you that there is a new passport coming, but for clothing? Currently, the only information we have about our clothing is revealed on that tiny care label sewn into the sides of our clothes. It tells us about the material composition, the care instructions, and the country of origin. However, there is nothing regarding the sustainability of the product or its environmental cost. We have no idea how much water was used to make the product, nor the working conditions faced by the garment workers that produced the item, nor how to properly recycle, reuse, or repurpose the item after usage. Maybe you're spring cleaning and you pull out clothes that you don't wear anymore. What do you do with those clothes? Do they go into the trash? Maybe you try to resell them on Poshmark or Facebook. Maybe you drop them off at Goodwill to be donated. However, according to the EPA, only 16% of donated clothes are actually used. The remaining 84% is either incinerated or ends up in a landfill. Millions upon millions of pounds of clothing and textile waste is lost every year. Welcome to the fast fashion crisis, where much clothing and fashion is quickly generated, then quickly disposed of. The fashion and textile industries currently lack circularity, or the sustainable and renewable production of textiles that do not end up in landfills after use and are instead used many times over in different forms. Repurposing and reselling are examples of circularity. One body that is making strides towards a more circular business model within the fashion industry with the intention of combating the fast fashion crisis is the European Union, or the EU. As of March 2022, the EU has called for Digital Product Passports, or DPPs, to be mandatory by 2030. These digital passports, one for each piece of clothing, will hold pertinent information about the garment's carbon footprint, water usage, supply chain, and recycling, reselling, and repurposing information. These passports are meant to be accessed via a QR code that customers can scan using their phone. With the push of a button, European customers will have a wealth of information at their fingertips. Information about the factories and garment worker conditions that were involved in the production of the product, the chemicals used to produce the product, the plants and fibers comprising the material, the biohazards involved, and detailed information about how to recycle the garment. When we are out shopping for clothes, what factors contribute to our decision about whether or not to purchase the item? Maybe the color or the pattern, maybe the texture, how cute it looks on us in the fitting room. These are of course important factors, but what about the process behind the piece? What about its carbon footprint? What about the potentially carcinogenic chemicals within it? What about the working conditions of the employees that sewed the item? It's crucial to consider the impact these seemingly innocuous clothes have on not only our environment, but our health too. The fast fashion crisis has exacerbated these detrimental effects. And while these effects were described by Drs. Islam and Dr. Arya in our first episode, the need for policy and legislation to change the rules and structure of the game with Ken and Whitney in our second and third episodes, it is also up to us as consumers to start caring about our planet, our health, and each other. Here we are joined by textile research and consumer psychology expert Dr. Kirsi Ninamaki, who is based in Finland and has provided direct consultation to European policymakers to best combat the detrimental effects of the fast fashion crisis and promote a circular fashion business model. Each of our guests, though with disparate experiences and expertise, have made the same point over and over again. Europe is farther ahead in terms of making the fashion industry more sustainable than the US. But what exactly are they doing differently? Why are they the future? 
Why are they the queens of the global sustainable fashion industry? Dr. Ninamaki has a unique story. She actually started as a designer, worked in education, and then got her PhD in environmental science, then started conducting research in the textile production, design, and environmental space. Here's her journey. Originally, actually, I'm a textile designer, so my education is actually coming from the design field, and I, I worked as, as a textile designer quite a long time. So in the industry and, and later on running my own design business, so basically in the industry and then with the industry. So, uh, and I, I was really effective designer, so I feel that actually I, I'm part of this problem that I, I have I have been also participating of making new products. Uh, but after that, I was working as a designer and then moved into the, the uh, education. And that was actually the time that these environmental issues came or emerged quite strongly in the, also in the design field. And there was a lot of discussion about these environmental problems. And also the fast fashion business actually started at the, at the end of 1990. So then actually I studied as a, as a minor in Helsinki University about this environmental science uh, because we started this uh, we integrated that in our education, actually. So that was the start for this kind of like a interest to do, towards that. And it was so interesting that I, I actually applied to do my PhD with this topic. So and after after graduating, after after my uh, defense, actually, I continued as a researcher. Uh, and uh, when I started to do my own research, so I was really interested about um, these environmental issues in the in the textile and fashion industry, but very actually. Uh, fast, I moved my interest towards the consumer side. So I was really interested in that what, what, what actually happens behind of the fashion consumption and why we consume the way that we do. So that was the starting start of my, my like a research career. So that's what I have been doing now quite many years. So here, Kiersey clearly has one, industry and design experience, two, environmental sciences experience, and three, research experience that unites these seemingly two different topics. She also has policy experience, for she has co-designed policies with EU legislators to make the fashion industry more circular. But what does that actually mean? What was the economy structure previously? Well, the opposite of circular is linear, right? Here, Kiersey explains why the linear economy is the reason why the fashion companies have taken their manufacturing out of Europe and placed it in other countries, what the linear economy looks like, and why it must change to be more circular. Quite, quite a lot of textile and fashion industry moved to, to lower cost countries, mainly for Asian countries, lower, uh, these kind of developing countries. Uh, and that means that actually quite, quite, quite a lot of those um, industries closed down in the European Union. Actually, the, the manufacturing moved to Asian countries. So that was the start for this, uh, this fast fashion business models that actually uh, really uh, looking for the lowest cost place as well as the really super effective way of, of mass manufacturing. So ending up this kind of low end price of the product. And that, of course, means that uh, and the model actually comes from there that uh, we talk about this linear linear economy model that we take. We, we make really manufacture really effectively and then we actually try to effectively also sell our products uh, and actually at the time when the consumer buys the product, the value of the product is the highest one. But when actually then 
uh, after that actually the value of the product uh, decreases really fast so that's basically the, the behind of this business model and that also means that well if the company wants to increase they they profit they have to manufacture more they have to sell more and right now we are in the situation that actually the manufacturing is is super effective we produce a lot of textiles we produce really much fashion items uh, even in that uh, rate that we are not able to sell everything uh, even if consumers tries to to buy buy as as much as possible so still actually even uh, part of that manufacturing uh, stays unsold and that actually also have lead to the really short use time of the garments uh, low quality of the garments and and all western countries there we can see this that in, increase of textile waste is huge so that that is the, the problems and of course this causes a lot of environmental pro- problems because all the all the energy and all the materials and chemicals that are used in the in the textile and fashion production actually and then actually we use the the common social time that actually the, the environmental burden is really really big one and the material throughput in this kind of system is really fast meaning that actually products begins to be a waste really really fast and we have a lot of examples that actually some garments are used only a couple of times and then actually they are thrown away and and they are they are end up end up in landfill so then they are incinerated so and that of course also means that there are problems from the environmental point of view so in that sense actually we should try to to build different kind of uh, models that actually slows slows down the the material attribute in the system okay so the linear based economic model is profit driven if we think about a line, it has a starting point and an end point. If we apply this to a piece of clothing, the garment is produced at the starting point of the line and it dies at the end point. The death of the product is essentially when the item serves no more use and is disposed of, whether in a landfill or is incinerated. This is clearly not sustainable. There are other reasons why the current linear model is not sustainable. Kiersey describes the problems with cotton cultivation and polyester production two processes we discussed in depth in our first episode with doctors Islam and Arya. There are a lot of uh, problems in the in the fashion and textile industry. For example, uh, getting the the raw materials that that is needed and and since this uh, the the textile production for example has increased every year but now uh, big companies know that it is it's not possible to increase for example cotton cultivation it's not possible because there's not not any more land to use for cotton cultivation that's why they have been using polyester but polyester comes from the oil production and that's also well if you want to restrict the oil production in the future that means that well the polyester is not the not the solution so actually this kind of raw materials uh, and availability of it actually is really big problem currently and we already know that actually even those big companies they are they are producing so much that uh, it's roughly estimated that 20 to 40 percent of the production is actually not sold at all so it's not in a in a way that actually i think that this uh, fast fashion business model is really in a crisis from that point of view that it still exists but can can it continue like this way and now when when the environmental uh, discussion is actually uh, emerging so strongly and also pointing to the the fashion business that actually fashion business is part of the problem and it causes a uh, climate change so i think that they they have to change and then then uh, at least in European Union, <clears throat> the legislation is actually going that way, that there's a lot of uh, poli- policy discussion ongoing, that the, the fast fashion business have to change and we have to limit, for example, this way of, of producing and, and wasting all the resources. So the linear economy has many drawbacks. 
The only cyclical part of it is the constant producing and wasting of textiles. A truly circular business model is different from this linear model and attempts to be more sustainability driven. Kiersey explains here. Yes, very often when we talk about circular economy, so so the focus uh, easily goes to the end of the life of the product, meaning that we try then try to collect all the products back and use the material um, as a valuable resource back to the industrial manufacturing. That means that, for example, textile waste will be collected, it will be sorted and then recycled back into fiber production. But actually, what we uh, when we study this uh, circular economy, it means also something else. It's not only like handling the waste, but actually we should try to slow down. And that means that, well, we should extend the use time of the garments. That also means that, well, they have to be like a higher quality garments. We should actually have much more like standardized understanding about the quality, as well as there can be some services, for example, repair services to extend the, the, the garment use time. Uh, and then there can be also different different ways that we, we don't always have to, to buy new stuff that actually we can rent or lease, for example, and those kind of examples already exist. And then, of course, the, the whole second-hand business is one part of the story that actually might be that we are able to extend the use time of the comments so that there are several uses. It don't have, always have to be the one one user throughout the, the lifetime of the comments. And then actually when, when all these activities has been done and then the product begins to be a waste, then we have an effective effective way of collecting all that back and then recycle recycle everything back as a as a raw material back to the industry. So basically that that means that it's totally different way, ways of doing doing business and then then um, industry and, and companies they have to find ways to make the profit something else than just like selling selling one time only that actually there has to has to be different kind of activities before before actually then the, uh, the product begins to be a waste. So a key point of the circular economy and what distinguishes it from the linear economy is this end point or the death of a garment. The circular economy emphasizes that the product should not die, but should instead be reused as many times as possible before it goes back to the industrial side to be properly recycled, where it is used to contribute to a new product. This means that the product goes through many life cycles before it is resurrected as a new product. Okay, so the circular business model sounds great in theory, but is it just a theory at this point? How do we make this theoretical, abstract model a reality? How do we implement it at the policy level? As Kiersey describes, there is a strong move in Europe towards sustainability. In fact, unlike how it is in the US, sustainability is profitable because that's where the industry is heading. So if you want to be ahead of the game as a company, you have to be a leader in sustainability. That's how you get ahead of the competition. Kiersey elaborates here. So uh, and in, in European Union, the legislation work is ongoing towards this, that they, are, they have a strong will to, to, to move towards the circular economy, for example. So that's, that's one way that it's not like a, uh, it's not like a voluntary, might be that it's not voluntary anymore, that actually it's like obligatory coming from the legislation, at least in European Union. So that's, that's uh, and I know, what, 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 because we are working quite, we are collaborating with quite many industry. So I, um, what we see that actually quite many uh, business and industry people understand that the change is coming and they are actually quite worried about what that means from their business point of view. That might be that actually the only way to, to make a profitable business in the future is sustainability. So that's really like so strongly coming, coming into this field. When there's a will, there's a way. How is this will being translated into action? 
Interestingly, European legislators depend on academics and researchers like Kiersey to co-design policy to enact this will to be more sustainable. This couldn't be more different than how it is in the U.S. As we discussed in our first episode with Dr. Arya, academics like her and Dr. Islam are often the ones that have to reach out to policymakers and legislators to enact change at the policy level. However, there is little political capital to act in the textile industry because of more important issues like America's unique gun control problem. But things are different in Europe. Academics like Kiersey are actually brought in by policymakers to lend their expertise. She explains here and first comments on how different European policymakers are from those in the U.S. Yeah, I, I think that it's probably a little bit like other way around that, that, that especially um, uh, in European Union, for example, um, the policymakers wants to have the, the latest scientific knowledge. So, for example, us as a, coming from Aalto University, we have been really active towards the Ministry of Environment here in Finland. So actually they are pushing really this kind of like a green deals. So that means that we are actually we are part of the the workshops that the, the Ministry of Environment is running with the with the business players to, to really begin to construct this kind of like a voluntary actions that the industry is promising to do some improvements for the activities and then they actually are signing a contract with the with the state. So that is happening in Finland. And then in European Union, for example, they have this um, textile strategy, strategy which actually pushes the industry. So they have a the first paper is ready and out published already a year ago, saying that that the textile and fashion industry has to move uh, towards circular economy. Products have to to be higher quality, longer lasting, repairable and recyclable at the end of the end of the life. And right now they are like updating them these guidelines what this means and probably there's some legislation also will will follow and actually we are quite actively taking part for that that uh, legislation and, and the updating of the of the textile strategy and then there are certain kind of tools coming actually which actually could support this this development so this extended producer responsibilities one of those ones uh, which are now under under construction and that means that uh, the producers and importers actually they have to collect all the all the products at the end of their life that means that well actually waste will be part of their business somehow they have to deal with the waste waste uh, in the future and they have to understand that actually it's, it's part of their business and there are some costs with the with the waste of course they are now they're wanting to to uh, be part of this kind of recycling recycling of, of, of the business of the recycling so that um, those could be then put back in the industrial production and that will actually probably change totally how we design or manufacture products in the future. Uh, and then there are this eco-design directive uh, that's uh, also updating phase currently and they actually they talk about this that um, that in the future, all products should have a certain amount of recycled material. So that's actually the idea that, well, if there's a there's a, a need for recycled material, that will push the, the industry towards circular economy and recycling of, of materials. So that kind of things actually are happening. So I, I think that this kind of lobbying is much stronger in the European Union towards the sustainability and new kind of understanding about the business. However, it's not just academics and researchers like Kiersey who help co-design these policies. European policymakers also bring people on the business and industrial side and actively collaborate as a cohesive team to design policies that benefit all parties. 
Well, of course, I have this kind of like a Finnish person point of view, and uh, we we are so used to collaborate. So this kind of open discussion is quite uh, normal for us, and even bringing in with uh, bringing people with different background around the same table and begin to discuss. So I think that that's like the attitude that we really want to solve this problem together. Uh, and um, well, I would say that actually. We are the ones who are contacted, so it actually comes now from the from the outside. Of course, we are quite active in this uh, different kind of societal discussions and and try to bring this the, the scientific knowledge that we are we are making also a little bit more like like bigger discussion or public discussion, and and we are taking part for different kind of TV shows and uh, social activities and and, and different kind of. Um, seminars for example so that's like a, like what we want to do uh, it comes also from, from Aalto University that Aalto wants to have a, this kind of societal impact and it seems to be that well this message has heard by the policy makers and actually they are contacting us us and uh, inviting us for, for different kind of policy discussions but very often actually we also are the ones who are then running the workshops for example or roundtable discussions so this is also something which um, as, as a designer background is quite common for us that actually we are able to even link different kind of knowledges or different kind of um, disciplines together and, and try to solve these problems together. I think that that's more the, the issue that we are we are pushing is more like well we are invited and then we try to to co-design. Basically we are trying to co-design the policy together with, with different partners. And also the industry of course is really important that industry is also invited in this discussion because then they have different kind of insight they understand for example uh, or they, they might have different kind of worries for example from this uh, circular economy point of view. It might be that um, on paper everything looks so easy but then when you begin to scale for example the textile, textile waste recycling so it's not that easy actually then in practice and might 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 include some some kind of problems that we haven't even thought before before really this kind of activities happen so in that sense the industry and uh, and business point of view is really important also to to include in this policy discussion but is it all holding hands and singing kumbaya is the entire business all the companies on board with being more sustainable there are a couple snags a couple companies not singing kumbaya but there's a, this kind of problem that, well, the business is so huge. I think that, for example, these business models, what I see that they are really interesting new kind of business models uh, emerging or up and running. But very often, actually, they are small or medium-sized companies. So they are much more flexible in that sense that they can actually change their business understanding or business model or try out different kind of business models compared to these really big ones. I think that those those uh, big companies are somehow like stuck in the, the old way of, of producing and especially this kind of mass manufacturing. So in there, there, there are not, not so not so easy to make bigger changes uh, if you think about business models, for example. Uh, but then on the other hand, uh, big businesses has a lot of power if you really want to make this change. So it might be better that you try to discuss with them uh, and try to uh, build some kind of new understanding together with them because actually they have a lo- lot of power uh, and also a lot of followers. So in that sense, um, that change might might be a slowlier <laughs> compared to small or medium-sized companies, but might be that they also have to have to make the change. So in that sense, I think that well, the old way of, of doing doing uh, fashion business will die 
in some sometimes. So in, in in that sense, this change actually will will concern everyone. And I also understand that well. Well, they are also concerned about their their current way of 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 producing or making the business. So so, but they 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 are not so easy, or it's not so easy to make make changes when the when the scale is really big one. But does that mean it's impossible for big companies to make change? We asked Kirsi. Yeah, that's a tricky question. So uh, I think that everyone has to make a change. So and 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 for some the change might be faster than for for others. Uh, of course, also the the big players also have a more more resources to make the change. For example, so if they really want to invest on something, they have the money to invest compared to than smaller companies, for example. Uh, but uh, this might also mean that, well, everyone has to also think about not only the efficiency, but also the sufficiency. I think that we have to slow down and that means that actually we also have to produce less. And that, that means that, well, then this current way of producing is might not be profitable in the future. That uh, might be much more profitable to invest on higher quality, higher prices, less production. So I, I think that, that that's, that's the way that actually the business should go. Okay, so small and medium-sized businesses are able to more easily change their business models to shift towards increased circularity. Big businesses face a larger hurdle where their model is so stuck in the old ways, kind of like how one of Newton's laws states that it's harder to change the inertia of a larger object compared to a smaller one. However, they are able to contribute to sustainability by investing in such efforts which makes sense as they have more money as a result of being a bigger business. She continues. But of course that takes takes time and that also means that well consumers have to be have to be also um, involved in this this uh, the, the change in the fashion fashion business that actually also the fashion consumption side have to change. Here Kiersey brings up the importance of the consumer of us. Kiersey describes what Finnish and European customers are like. Yeah, I think that we have a little bit different kind of like a relationship with the na- with the nature or environment. I think so. And then, uh, for example, Finland has uh, Finland wants to be the forerunner in circular economy, and I think that that has like spread throughout the European Union. Yes, and one thing actually which pushes this development onwards. So, so actually they had decided in European Union that all the textile waste will be collected separately uh, and then it has to be placed in in recycling and that happens in 2025 and actually that that uh, legislation started in Finland already this year so we we try to be the really like the forerunners and that uh, and right now we are still actually building this infrastructure for example around the textile waste but i think that is some, some something linking to more this kind of like a value base that actually this kind of like a environmental understanding is quite high in in Finland and consumers are really they they actually know a lot about these environmental issues and and how they own consumption uh, behavior uh, links to this environmental issue. So I, I, I think that it comes from that. We also actually understand or we think that while well, this green green uh, business or green industry, all things that links to the, the lower environmental impact and how actually industry could help, we see that there's a business opportunity. So that's also something that we, we see that we are not trying to prevent because we think that well, old industry is history and, and actually the new, new industry has to take these environmental issues account. And I, I think that we also try to push that well, there are a lot of actually business opportunity for new technologies, for example. So that's that's something that happens in in Finland, not only in Finland but also in, in European Union. 
So it's clear that the consumers that Kiersey is talking about are already more conscious and passionate about environmental issues, but they still balance this consciousness with the desire to be stylish and the affordability of which to do so. So there's an internal struggle going on in the minds of shoppers and not just those in Europe, but those everywhere, right? But what could help us make more informed decisions or help us with this internal struggle? More information, more data. As we touched on earlier, the EU will start mandating the use of digital product passports or DPPs. Kiersey explains what these are and how they work here. Yes, there are actually different ways of, of reporting or depending what kind of information um, should be collected and, and should be then opened and, and open to, to whom. So there's actually is this kind of discussion going on that also comes from the European Union about this digital product passport. And that's actually is the idea that how we can actually collect more information, how the supply chain uh, and the manufacturing could be a little bit more transparent. Uh, that work is actually under undergoing, but we have been taking part for this discussion that what would be important and of course um, now when we we are trying to push the industry towards the circular economy so actually there for example the textile waste recycling is is quite complicated currently but uh, and then we uh, some information if it's possible to to collect more information from the manufacturing side that might actually might ease the recycling of the textile waste so that means that well, a lot of information could be collected uh, from the manufacturing uh, about the fiber content, about the colors that has been used, chemicals which has been used, different kind of finishes, for example, which actually might affect to, to the textile waste recycling. So if you would have this kind of information, actually the recycling process might be much easier. Uh, and of course, uh, what we also have been thinking that, well, uh, from the sustainability point of view, would be also wise to collect that kind of information that then it would be possible to make make calculation, for example, for carbon footprint or water footprint. So that would be something that actually could be reported as a, a sustainability result. But something is better compared to some other, other choices, for example, from the manufacturing manufacturing uh, processes. So that, that's actually something something that we are thinking. So, But that work is still actually uh, under development. And of course, the whole because the supply chains might be really long in, in, in the textile and fashion industry. So even that knowing that uh, where the, actually this fiber comes from, where the yarn is made, where the textile is made, where the, the garment is made, for example, before actually it ends up to, to Western consumers. So that would be really important. And even this kind of like a societal side could be included that really also talking about some some issues in the in the in the manufacturing phase and the the workers uh, workers um, work conditions for example so but that that work is still actually under uh, under construction that what kind of information but there are different kind of tools uh, or different kind of exam examples already exist some are more linked into this circularity aspect uh, some uh, are more for this kind of like uh, the opening the trying to open the whole supply chain for example from the from the different uh, uh, factories where where the where the manufacturing has happened, for example, and we talk about this digital twin. So actually, that there could be some code uh, in the comments which opens uh, some kind of like um, uh, data source in the in the internet, for example, uh, or or then this life cycle information management. That's one tool which is actually also also under development. Thinking that well, what kind of actually excels there should be. Uh, and what kind of like a processes the whole data collection could actually be, but it's it's actually quite big, big and global 
problem that has to be solved still, but we think that actually the transparency should be much, or there should be much more transparency so that uh, that for, for the recyclers as well as for, for consumers that some information could be could be exposed to towards consumers too, that if you want to check, for example, that that, that in which countries, which which uh, plants actually this um, this garment has been has been made or yarn or fibers or, or colors. So that, that might be quite interesting from the from this kind of environmental point of view. This powerful digital tool is integral to making the fashion industry more circular by extending the life cycle of the product. Yeah, of course, that means that there have to be some kind of like a tools how to measure. And of course, the life cycle information Life cycle analysis is one of those tools, and now we we actually try to also link some of the tools that we are we are developing. That actually some some figures could uh, help to to calculate the carbon footprint, for example, or some other kind of like or the water footprint. That there's something that actually some figures that actually links to this uh, footprint. Um, understanding that there are possibilities to make some kind of calculations, which also then would be possibility to, to communicate to the consumers, for example, that something is better than the, the other other comments, for example. But then if you think about this use phase, uh, that how then to include the use phase, well, that's much, much more complicated one. There are actually some examples exi- existing in the in the garment field, and they mainly come from the work work where uh, they they have this kind of like a riff tag in it, uh, and actually it's possible to follow how many times this garment has been washed, for example, before it's then uh, reached the the end of the life. So that that could be something, but then of course from the consumer side, it's actually not possible to follow up the the use phase because then the there are this legislation in European Union that it's not it's not possible to collect that kind of data without the consumer themselves to know, for example. So that's actually is under development that how actually we could we could collect uh, the data also during the use phase. So currently it's not possible, but actually that interest in interest companies quite a lot would be really interesting to also get some some information during the use phase. Kiersey says that we cannot get information from the consumer side. However, I ask her that since European customers are more passionate about environmental issues, would they be willing to report usage information on the DPP after purchasing a clothing item? They could voluntarily report their usage so we can gather more information about the clothing lifespan. Kiersey responds here. Yeah, well, that's... Um, yeah, I think that they're, they're, it's not only that... Of course, it's the attitude, but also the, the technical solutions, because uh, because the workway is, is something that is easier to follow compared to what other, other kind of comments from the consumer side. So that's that's also the one problem that how actually what kind of technology you can integrate in the comments and how you then follow this the user phase is actually not quite quite easy from the technical technological point of view, because the workway is actually very often actually is rented, so it actually follows the same path all the time. It's go for the same 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 laundry, for example, so it's easier to follow those ones compared to whatever kind of consumer consumer comments. So in that sense, I think that there are a lot of these kind of uh, technical uh, technical problems. But then, for example, we have some companies where there's this kind of platform platform business uh, who, for example, sell uh, consumer comments to other consumers, and they have this kind of. Um, uh, process that actually they they take take the comments when when somebody wants to sell and actually they che- uh, check the quality so actually they they have developed their own kind of like a quality checking systems so when they then actually uh, 
put uh, put the comments back to to um, on sale on, on online. So actually, there's also this kind of like a quality mark on it that this is like best quality or second best, or then it's it's there. Some might be that there are some wear and tear and or some some holes even. So then it's the low low quality. So this kind of actually uh, quality testing already exists in the second hand fashion business which actually I think is also quite interesting and and, and then um, they also noticed that well uh, they also only sell this kind of like a brand well-known brand garments which already have have higher quality uh, so the use time is possible to extend uh, and also the quality is, is better than this kind of average whatever kind of fast fashion brand so that's that's also actually provide some kind of examples that how that would be uh, be beneficial from the second-hand business point of view that actually we, we try to extend the use time of the commerce but then how to follow that one is, is actually not quite easy. I ask another follow-up. Would it be possible to share the consumer usage data so that the future customers of the product you purchased would be able to access your usage data to get an idea of how long the product lasts and how useful it is? Similar to how reviews work, it is all related but accessible from one platform. Yes, that kind of reporting might be might be possible. And yes, you understand it quite correctly that the idea is that there are QR code or some some other other in the in the comments that actually you can open the data with your with your mobile phone. So that's that that's the idea in here. But then uh, what kind of data will be opened, or is that data open for everyone? Might be that actually is a little bit more like selected ones. But yes, of course, that kind of like a voluntary reporting could be there. And, and, and I know that at, at least one company in Finland, that's Reima, they, they have had this kind of like a second hand. They are, they are making their children wear. So they, they have actually tried this second hand business so that there's also a platform where actually users can, can tell the story about this children wear before actually who has worn the, worn the garments, for example, before actually then they sell that onwards to, to other other users. So that kind of like a uh, narrative narratives is also actually part of the, the comments and, and the use. So that might also uh, increase the value of the comment that you know that actually who has been using this comment before me. But yes, of course, there are po- different kind of possibilities, but, but some actually all these technical things are not, not solved yet. The digital product passport would revolutionize the way companies would report their manufacturing information. It would revolutionize the way we'd make decisions while shopping. It would also revolutionize the way we use our clothes and the way we'd recycle, resell, or repurpose them after the clothes have been thoroughly used by us. The DPP is a key example of how European legislators, academics, researchers, businesses, and consumers can use innovative technology to lead a collaborative effort to make the fashion and textile industry more sustainable and circular. However, none of this would be possible without the motivation and drive to enact meaningful change within the fashion industry. While the U.S. has much farther to go in terms of combating the fast fashion crisis, we will next feature a U.S. policymaker to see how the U.S. is making progress. Thanks for listening to this episode of Politics Under the Microscope, and stay tuned for our next and final episode in our fast fashion series.